Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life podcast. This is your host, Krista Bigler, private practice integrative nutritionist, helping people across the U.S. reverse digestive issues, eczema, and autoimmunity via phone and video consult. To learn more, visit lessstressednutrition.com. Now, on to the show. All right, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have a man who has made me reconsider all of my children's names. In fact, if I could start over, I would probably name one of my kids Figs. Because as the person who introduced me to Figs said, I have a charming therapist for you today. So we have Fiacra. Actually, I don't, I'm pretty sure that's not right. So I'm going to go ahead and have him let me know. I only have to say his name properly one time. Fiacra uh, O'Sullivan, who is from Ireland, if we're wondering where that came from. And I can understand why we just went to Figs. It's very, it's such a lovable name. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, um, certified in EFT for couples. So last night I was, I realized as when you're not in that realm of practice, you're like, oh, what is EFT? Oh, I thought we were talking about a different topic here, but it's emotionally focused therapy. So he's certified in emotionally focused therapy for couples. He's the creator of the empathy method and the certification process for empathy coaches. His life's mission is to help couples feel more connected. I think his bio is brief, but I'd like to give him a few more accolades. I spent some time on his website last night. Gorgeous. You've got to go to empathy.com and take the relationship quiz, but we'll talk all about that. Welcome, Figs. Oh, well, wow. That is definitely the nicest intro (laughs) I've ever received, Krista. I got to be honest. Thank you. Oh, well, that was kind of a big, big, uh, big statement. So we're, we were talking off air about how relationship, you know, all the things that, that compound to make life is awesome, right? And less stressed and to make your health great and your relationships great. I mean, relationships can be quite a source of stress for people, can't they? Absolutely. I mean, and of course, I'm biased, right? That, um, because I believe like your relation, the quality and health and of your relationship is the the ground upon which everything else we stand upon in our lives. Now, of course, talking to you, like I would say, you know, health is probably even more important. But then after your actual physical health, um, the quality of our relationship with our primary other and then our family, um, I think, comes next in terms of making sure that people can have the fullest life possible. 
Yeah. So let's talk about how this started because I'm seeing this gorgeous sure. website, but you're this guy over here with a still having the accent from Ireland. Give us a little background about counseling. You know, it's maybe started sure. at home and then came here and, and tell us about your background and your own relationship experience. Yeah. yeah well, so, you know, I always say that I have like that cliched um, Irish story. I'm the son of an alcoholic and a heartbroken mother. And so my real qualifications are I'm a wounded human being and I didn't have the family unit, you know, of belonging that I longed for um, as a kid, you know, that it's everybody's birthright, so to speak. Right. Which, of course, we don't always get. Um, and so my my life's work has been trying to feel a sense of belonging inside myself, right? And then obviously with another so that I could then be, um, you know, be a husband and be a father that my wife and my children deserve to have. Mm -hmm. So so that's the real qualification. Now, like, I, you know, alcoholism was a wonderful, like it was a curse, obviously, on one level to my family. Uh, but it was also a blessing in it. Because, you know, my dad, you know, got his act together, went on to become a therapist. And he's a, <laughs> a pretty amazing therapist in his own right. And my mother became a social worker, probation officer. My sister's a therapist. And, of course, I married another couple of therapists. Like, so, so you know, on, on one hand, the betrayal of alcoholism was like, you know, the worst thing that happened in my life, you could say. But it's also those trials and tribulations is what has made it possible for me to become all that I can be. Like, you know, this is definitely my vocation. It's what I'm best at, at being there for other people and helping them go from being in their threatened brain in relationship to actually calming their limbic system and then being able to reconnect with with someone who's really important to them. So that's all I try and help people do all day long. I love that um, you integrated that science science in there too. Thank you. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, what I do is I always say like, look, the good news is everything I do is based on science, but that would actually be very boring if it was, for me if it was only science. There is a craft to what I do. And, you know, like I know people sometimes roll their eyes when I say this, but I, I primarily see myself as an artist, you know, an artiste, right? I'm the, I, and, you know, the art of my work is this, like, how to help people in a living, breathing moment of time go from threatened to, like, non-threatened and then take that moment of non-threatened and get them to the core of their vulnerability so that they can then share the core of that vulnerability with another so that they can be truly understood. Mm -hmm. I mean, where, did you just come out of the womb being a couples therapist? No, I'm just kidding. But you really did. Yeah. You had you had your history and you had this family dynamic. Why did you decide to become a couples therapist? Was that kind of accidental? Did did you realize? Well, oh, I really uh, like working with damaged relationships. <laughs> well, so. Well, that's a great question. So obviously, I love being a therapist, and I love being an experiential therapist. And um, some of the key moments that I've happened in my life are, I, I, I'm a big believer in this thing that John O'Donoghue says is that, you know, God is that which you find beautiful. Now, I'm not religious in any way, right? So let's not take it too far. But 
I do believe in this, like, what is it that really moves you? Like, if you find something really beautiful, it should be, so, like, it, like, usually it's so overwhelming that it kind of brings you to um, your tears, mm-hmm. um, brings you to that place where your tears live inside you. And not because it's sad, but because it's so overwhelmingly beautiful that you can't help but touch your emotions. And for me, like, growing up as a kid, um, it's always been that which I find, like the, what I find most beautiful is that seeing people transition people from reactivity to vulnerability. Now, I don't know why that is. It just is, right? And one of my, you know, memories as a child, right, actually as a, you know, I think it was about 12, 13 years old. I remember at the time my mother was working with disadvantaged youth and, you know, at risk youth for crime in Dublin City, right? In the inner city. And of course, I went, I was sent off to some private school. So I, at this stage, I probably have some, and which I still have, like some kind of half snobby Dublin accent, right? Which I, I'm not really from that social class, but, you know, you, you get integrated and socialized with richer snobby kids you pick up their their accent but anyway so I'm, I'm there in a the room one day at my mom's office and this like this 15 16 year old dublin like street kids like storms in the door and he is so mad and he's yelling and shouting and cursing and i remember my mother just getting up and going yeah what is it go on tell me what's going on and she was able to meet him in his fury and help him feel really, really like I'm with you and it's okay for you to feel the way you do. Like, I want to know all about what's going on. And like, I'm, I'm petrified. Like, I'm sitting there like, I'm like looking for, is there an exit? Like, how do I get away from, like, I'm so scared. And then after about five minutes of this, my mother reaches over and just touches this kid's arm. And it was like magic. He just broke down crying and she just held him. So, like, again, yeah, like, it touches me now, even talking about it. I don't know anything more important than to help people do that. And obviously, I don't do it with teenagers. I do it with two people that really, really love each other, but they have moments where they feel threatened by each other because it looks like you're either not there for me or it looks like you think I'm not enough for you. And they get really stuck in these threatening moments. And I help them see, look, come here, that's not actually what's happening, right? You really are just two people that love each other, just scared to live in daylights out of each other. Mm-hmm. And if we can make that, you know, state change, that actual transition, then we can have empathy for each other, hence the name of my company, right? And and then we can fill that empathic space with actual love, comfort, soothing, and people can feel more connected to each other than they ever did even before they got into a conflict with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should say it was empathy.com with an I, just in case people exactly. are looking for that. But um, exactly. It's the I at the end. I Like we couldn't afford empathy with a Y at the end. <laughs> love so that. we had to be creative. <laughs> that is yeah. such a realistic thing. Thank you so much yeah, for being transparent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you kind of just alluded to this. Let's, let's hit it a little harder. Why do couples sure. fight? Because you start marriage like all glassy eyed, right? You start marriage uh-huh. like this is going to be great. And then right. what happens? Why do couples fight? What's going on? Yeah, well, it's a great question. Uh, you know, so usually people think like the reason couples fight is like, oh, it must be about money or it's about sex or it's about who does the housework or, you know, whatever it is, right? There's all these like top 10 reasons why couples fight. Well, really, there's only one reason why couples fight. 
And I'll, I'll tell you, right? The one reason why couples fight is that we are hardwired to need to be emotionally bonded, right? And the technical term for that is to be attached, right? And attachment theory is the best theory we have of what love is. And in short, it's this need from the cradle to the grave to be attached, emotionally bonded to another, right? And this is hardwired in. It's not optional, right? With 100,000 years ago, you were born and running around the African savannas, right? Your first need, your primary need was not um, inflammation-free food, right? Your primary need was that there was another person, and the, uh, there was a person that was good enough on the other side of your birth that was going to be there for you. Because if they weren't there for you, right, you know, we're useless when we're born, right? We come out of the womb so early as mammals compared to other mammals. We can do nothing, right? I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old and they still won't help around the house, right? So look, we are useless. And so if there isn't a good enough other there for you that looks at you like I'm definitely here for you emotionally and physically and you're enough for me, you're not a disappointment to me, right? You are in serious trouble. In fact, you're facing an existential threat. You know, so, I was going to say that this reminds me, when you say from birth to death that we require attachment, it reminds me of the articles and research that you see about holding babies and skin-to-skin contact and how it helps develop the brain at an early time. And maybe that this is the simplest explanation we have for that. Exactly. This is uh, and and look, all of that system, that attachment system. It's not like it goes away. You might think you've grown up and you're all like, I'm not a baby. But look, those same mechanisms are inside you. Where like, there's a reason why babies cry out when it looks like their primary attachment figure, mom for most of us, and some of us, you know, granny or you know, our adopted parents, whoever it was. But like, like, there's a reason why the baby cries out. It's really smart to cry out. Right, Because if you're not there, I'm facing a serious threat. And then when you grow up, even though you think like, you know what, that's just the way babies react. If your primary attachment figure, who is the person now, let's face it, the reason you got married, you might think it was because they're an amazing breakdancer and it, and it complements your incredible moonwalking. Mm -hmm. Right. But the real reason you got married is somewhere along the way of your courtship, you looked at each other and you could see in each other's eyes with this one. It looks like they're really going to be there for me. And and they looked in your eyes and they said, like, oh, my God, it looks like I'm actually good enough for this person. They're not going to be disappointed in me mm. now. Because, and here's the, the rub, because that is what was true, that's what made you get to a place where let, let's do this. Let's do a fist bump and uh, commit to this thing. Let's do a little ritual ceremony, right? Whatever, you know, whatever. Rock, <laughs> let's get oh, married, right? <laughs> whatever it is. Let's get married, you know, you know, whatever it is that like, you know, like making it official that we are each other's primary attachment figures, mm -hmm. right? That's, you know, that's basically what, what it is, right? And I'm a big believer in ceremony and the importance of it, but I won't digress right now, right? But, so look, this is the, at the key, that's what's most important. Are you there for me? Am I enough for you? And we made, we signed this invisible contract that, look, I'm going to be here for you and you are definitely enough for me. And then that's the expectations we have of each other. But lo and behold, six months later, like, you know, or two weeks later for some people or six years later, there's some moment where, you know, your child, I'll pick a, a silly, innocuous version, right? It's like you're driving along in the car and you ask your spouse, hey, look at that buffalo over there. And they don't respond. 
and you're like, hey, w- where did you go? W- why didn't you answer? And they're like, oh, what? No, no, no. I was just daydreaming. I didn't do something wrong. And you're like, yeah, but you said you'd, you'd always be here. Like, w- why didn't you answer when I asked you to look at the buffalo? Yeah, but hold on a second. You like I was just having a daydream. You, you said like I wasn't going to be a disappointment to you. Now, they, you may not have used those words with each other, right? But ultimately, you could translate everything that happens in that conversation down to, are you there for me? Why am I not enough for you anymore? Mm-hmm. Now, this is the most basic, basic version, right, of understanding what happens. And that all derives from our basic need to be emotionally bonded. So all couples end up, because they love each other, not because they don't, they get in negative interactionary cycles with each other. Tell me about that. So because they love each other. So the basic version is, are you there? Am I enough? And there's not a change. There's not a difference there. Like this is common. You're saying that this is a common denominator in every relationship. That's what feeds that exactly. need. Okay. But yeah, and look, in- there are loads of different variations of that, right? Some person might like, they might go, look, it's, I never ask, am I enough? It's like, I need to know my priority. I'm like, okay, fine, sorry. You know, right. Or they may be like, look, I, I don't need to be a priority. I need to know that I'm valued, right? Or I don't need to know that I'm special to my partner. I need to know that they really hear me. So mm-hmm. there, there, look, there are loads of slight variations of these things, but ultimately, all couples eventually get into these negative interactionary cycles. And the easiest way to understand this is just four elements. And that's where, because you're so important to each other, when it looks like you're not met by your partner, it hurts. So that's element number one. You're actually having a vulnerable experience. And because it's actually so important to be met, that vulnerable experience on some level is not fully tolerable. So you do, number two, you do something to try and not feel that vulnerable experience. Now, There's a whole variety of things some people do, right? Let's say the standard ones that you often see is one person becomes, that person that's hurting, they criticize their partner. And they may not even realize they criticize the partner. They might think they're like, I'm just going to give you a little advice here. I'm actually being very good and helpful to you, right? But ultimately, it lands as a criticism, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so that hurts their spouse, number three. So now the partner, the spouse is hurt. Right. And then they are going to react and like the standard reaction to criticism. And of course, loads of variation of what people can do. But the standard reaction to criticism will be they'll defend themselves or explain themselves. Well, I didn't mean that. Like, that's not what I meant. Right. They're going to come up with some explanation why they're not bad, which, of course, goes back to the first spouse. Like, oh, my God, like, it seems like you didn't really hear me how much I was hurting there. Why don't I double down and criticize you or give you some more feedback? Mm-hmm. Right. And then that couple gets stuck in that one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, on and on and on and on and on, getting more and more disconnected from each other, reaffirming their worst stories about each other, because all they really see is the reactivity and the way in which it looks like my partner's not meeting me. And they can't really see the vulnerable experience that's, that is inside of both yourself and the other person that's really driving this negative interaction. Um, let me, can you help me clarify the four pieces? Sure. So the, it hurts first and I'm vul- is vulnerable too, or is it, it hurts and I'm vulnerable? Oh, yeah, That's sorry. all one. Hurting is vulnerable, right? Yeah, 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 it, yeah. it hurts. Mm-hmm. Being disconnected from you hurts, mm-hmm. right? Feeling not met from you hurts is number one. Yep, number two. And then number, number two is I do something about that. And, and so, like I said, some people are blamers, complainers, mm-hmm. shutter downers, jokers, minimizers. Like there's, you know, 
being overly nice or like there's a million ways people try and actually it's still a protest or hurting and there's a million and one things people do try to try and not hurt mm -hmm. but those things you do so that's your number one you're vulnerable number two you try and do something to mm -hmm. protest feeling that way mm -hmm. but unfortunately your protest even if it makes logical sense and rational sense that you would do it it actually results in number three which is now your partner or spouse is in a vulnerable experience because mm -hmm. now they don't feel that mm -hmm. in the way they long for. Right. Because now the person who's their primary attachment figure now looks like someone who's not there for them or is disappointed in them. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, gross oversimplification, but just it's easy to understand. So now they're in a vulnerable experience because they're not feeling met by their primary attachment figure. And now four, they now are going to pull from their repertoire of protests. Mm -hmm. So they might you blame you criticize you shut down minimize your feelings withdraw um give you some advice you know they're going to do something as well that'll now hurt again it'll now seem even more clear they're really not here or they really are disappointed in me so that's going to hurt even more and so now you will double down or pull out another protest that you have in your repertoire and but of course that's just going to lead to them hurting again mm -hmm. feeling unmet you and now they will feel it absolutely makes even more logical sense that I would protest this disconnection in this way that I know how to do mm -hmm. and so every couple ends up getting stuck like that with each other yeah so it's the step-by-step -step process of a fight it hurts it's vulnerable so we I protest now my partner's vulnerable so he protests and again exactly. and again and again okay I got on it on it Okay, so and that's great. I love that you broke that down as a step by step, because one of the things I always ask couples when I first meet them is I want to know how you fight. But not usually people want to tell me the story about what the how they were hurt and what the other person did bad. And then they just take turns. But actually, and you know, and that's going to just make them fight again, which sometimes is great for me to see that. But actually, what's helpful, what I always ask people is tell me this, give, give me the screenplay, set the scene. And I want to let's go through it blow by blow. So I walked in the kitchen. I saw there was only one cup of coffee made. And it touched the place inside me where I felt not considered. So what did you do? I was like, ah, I see you decided to treat yourself this morning. Oh, OK, stop. Don't say anymore. You heard her say that. What did it feel like? Oh, I can't believe I'm in trouble again. I thought I was doing good because she was getting a lie in. Oh, I feel so powerless. I'm hopeless. Now, of course, it might take how my have to help them get to that's what they're feeling inside. Okay, what did you do? Well, I just turned and left the kitchen with my coffee. Ooh, okay, stop. Don't tell me anymore. You, you saw them turn and leave the kitchen. What did it feel like inside? Well, if I felt in, um, not considered when I first saw only one cup of coffee, now I felt even worse and alone. Ooh, and what did you do? Well, I actually took the coffee machine and I threw it out the window. Ooh, now we're getting somewhere. Right. So so I'm able to work out like what are the real vulnerable feelings? What's the way you both react and what is the system that you co-create together? Because then if we can really get a sense of the system that you co-create together. And I don't know if you're following around that silly story I just made up right now on the top of my head. <laughs> both it. people make perfect. Both people make perfect sense. Right. If you're the person that walks down, you see the one cup of coffee. It makes sense that you could feel. Oh, what about me? But if you're the person that made the one cup of coffee and you were like, I was actually letting you have a lie in, like it makes sense. It would actually hurt that it seems like you're in trouble when you like didn't even think you were being bad. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. We can get to a place where we can see, look, it makes sense. You're both hurting. It makes sense why you did both the things you do, although I wouldn't advise continually throwing coffee machines out the window. Right. But 
everybody makes sense and look at what we co-created together. And if we can get to that place, would you look what we co-created together because we're both hurting and we're only hurting because we love each other. No wonder we reacted the way we did. Right. Then there's this magical bridge of empathy that can like, you know, appear where that we can actually find our way back to each other um, and love each other and soothe each other. Oh, I love it. I also think next time I have a therapist, I want him to have an Irish accent to go through this. No, I'm just joking. Uh, not really. Why? Um, so let's talk about this is a typical I think we're all probably resonating with what this fight looks like. Um, are there better yeah. worse ways? Are there do you think in the same way that it all boils down to? Are you there? And am I oh. enough? Does it also boil down to this same interaction back and forth in a fight? Or are there variables to that as well? Look, well, 70% of couples approximately would fall under this category of what mm -hmm. we call the um, uh, what we call in the empathy process, the uh, relentless, reluctant um, partnership dynamic. And that's where one person has got a greater propensity to feel abandoned or not considered or not a priority. And they're more likely to protest by seeming, even though they may not seem that's what they're doing to themselves, as criticizing and blaming. And their partner is more likely to be what we refer to as the reluctant lover. And the reluctant lover, they still actually want connection, but it actually hurts a lot to feel like they're a disappointment. So they tend to pull away. Their protest behavior is to pull away or be defensive or shut down. But really deep down inside, they're actually really hurting too. So, look, there's no doubt that 70% of the time, at least, that's the most standard dynamic. Mm -hmm. but, but even within that, like, that doesn't mean in any given moment in time that we couldn't have both people withdrawing for each other. Fine, whatever. Okay, well, I don't care either. And then they just don't talk to each other, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or we couldn't have both people protesting by blaming each other at the exact same moment. Um, so... Yeah, look, all of these things, I, I'm just trying to break it down to its mo its simplest mm -hmm. to understand, right? So, that, like, it's like any time, for a map to be useful, it's got to be, like, simplified, mm -hmm. right? But, of course, ultimately, each individual and each relationship is much more nuanced. And that's, like I was saying about the craft of the work, mm -hmm. is uh, to actually get into the real, the real nuances of each person like what their vulnerability is and um, what are the kind of things that trigger them that are very unique to them and could be very confusing for your partner then right mm -hmm. like you know i have no idea why um like i'll give you a silly example for myself right if that's okay yep. is um like so I, I grew up again just like i was saying like you know heartbroken mother and every now and again i'd be sent off to the country to the farm which was brilliant as a kid right on one level, it was brilliant. But on another level, like, I really miss my mom. I don't want to be away from her for a week or two in the summertime. But my relatives, um, who were wonderful, and they were so great to me as a kid, but they would often, while I was there, well-meaning, they would say, aren't you happy you're here? Aren't you having a great time here? Asher, don't you love that your mother gets a break? Don't you want to stay another week? So now... I don't know if you notice, even as I say those things to you, there's no room for me in those questions. And as a kid, I knew that as a kid, they weren't asking me what I felt. They were trying to get me to feel what it is they wanted me to feel. Mm -hmm. So now here I am a grown man, right? You know, but still a little child inside um, in, in more ways than one. Mm -hmm. Right. And 
And like someone says to me now, right, like we're in the middle of a heat wave here in San Francisco and someone walks into my office and they say, oh, figs, isn't it a beautiful day today? So now they actually mean it. They're trying to invite me to join them in celebrating this beautiful day. But there's still this little wounded fella inside of me that hears the presumptive close of the question that I'm going to agree with them. And some little, you wouldn't even notice it, like some little part inside me pulls back. I got to keep an eye on you now. <laughs> right. Like I feel just this little bit threatened. Now, come here. How, that doesn't mean that that person did something wrong by asking you, isn't it a beautiful day today, figs? Right. They didn't do something wrong. Mm -hmm. It just turns out that I have some little place inside me that's a little sensitive to a presumptive close question because I've been in a situation in my life that was that was actually quite painful. Right. Mm -hmm. So. So these are the things that in when we get married, right, or we're in a long-term committed relationship, you think you've just asked your partner like the simplest question in the world and they like, you know, they, they slam their coffee cup down and say, how dare you? And you're like, hold on a second, what, excuse me? What was that, right? But of course, people get caught up on what's right and what's wrong as opposed to getting curious about themselves, getting curious about each other and getting curious about what we're co-creating with each other, mm. right? Because yeah, what's right and what's wrong is, is totally irrelevant. I love yeah. that. Mm. You, you mentioned the curiosity there and some, I heard this yeah. recently and I don't remember where about, you know, loving another person is just wanting to continue to learn about them and to stay curious. And that's kind of what I hear through this uh, fight process. In fact, the next question really is, you know, if you're in this negative reaction cycle, how do you change that? How do you make marriage work? Because it's now a cycle and it's, you know, you're, you're kind of on fire. And so how do you, how do you stop that? How do you make things work again? That's great. You know what I love? Hey, come here. Firstly, I love the question because you asked me, how do you stop it? And how do you make it work? How do you get back into connection? Because notice the question you didn't ask, which is how do you make sure it never happens? Because the short answer to like the how do you make sure it doesn't happen is you don't, right? It's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna happen for good reason. You should actually celebrate. You should go down to your local um, grocery store and go buy yourself a cheap bottle of champagne and celebrate the fact that we're we're so important to each other and we still matter to, enough to each other to get in cycles with each other. In fact, I still get upset when you're 30 minutes late, like coming home from work because you told me you'd be on time. I still care that much about being a priority to you, right? And like, Oh, my God. And then, like, you know, your spouse should be like, oh, I'm so happy you get upset with me. It means that I still am enough that, like, I'm enough for you to still be sad and upset about whether I'm here or not for you. Yay. Look at us. We still love each other. Now, of course, people don't look at it like that. Mm -hmm. But that's ultimately the transition that we have to make. So mm -hmm. here's like, here's a real optimist perspective there, Fix. <laughs> well, I like well, it. I like it. I love it. I just well, I've never heard it that way. Right, exactly. This is the transition that we have to make, right? Like, mm -hmm. so the first thing is, so here's, I'll give you the main steps and stages in order to make love and relationship work, mm -hmm. right? One is what I just said is just accept that be having moments of disconnection, right? Struggles, fights, whatever you call it is natural. You're going to have them. Stop trying to get rid of them completely. You're go don't set yourself and your spouse up for expectations that neither you or them or your partner can meet right? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Second thing is just how do you, every time you do get in a moment that is difficult, how do you work on seeing that this is an us thing, 
right? What's the narrative that we both fit inside, that we co-created this versus trying to work out who's right and who's wrong, right? So then if you get to the place like this is both of us, now can you really see, look, my behavior that you thought was awful and your behavior that I thought was awful, what's the real vulnerability that that behavior was born out of inside of each of us? And that what, how is that vulnerability related to the significance uh, that we hold to each other? So now we get like it was both of us. Fighting is OK. It's normal as long as it's short and we don't do too much damage to our emotional connection. Right. And it only happened because we're both hurting because we love each other so much. And now I might be able to take a look at, oh, it actually makes sense now when I threw the coffee machine out the window, how that could have actually hurt your feelings. I actually see my part in it. For the last 30 minutes, all I could see is how bad you were for actually only making one cup of coffee. But now I'm actually able to see my part and how my actions and behavior could have hurt your feelings. And when both people can mush all that up together, it's both of us. It only happened because we're hurting. And why are we hurting? Because we mean so much to each other. And I actually have a part in this dynamic. It's not just you, both people. You mush all that together in an actual experience in your body that calms your limbic system. We're no longer sitting on the couch or standing in the kitchen with a, a, a two crocodiles, right, that could like fight, flight or freeze from each other. Mm-hmm. We're actually two little field mice that are actually love each other and are really hurting to be disconnected. And those two little field mice now might be able to move towards each other and give each other a little snuggle mm-hmm. and reconnect with each other. Mm-hmm. And we got to be able to do that process over and over and over again for the rest of our lives. Okay, I heard you there, but I'm going to keep I want to I want to make sure we're reiterating the steps. Um, So I'm going to repeat what I heard and you can correct how they go. So really, we are we're moving past denial and we're accepting that fights happen and that disconnect happen, right? Then we uh, we get vulnerable, right? We uh, that's what I have. How do you work on? Well, actually, sorry. So no, the the vulnerability, the the step, the the process, the um the order kind of matters. Uh-huh. You you want let's just say like you know that I was saying like we're two crocodiles. If all of a sudden like you're in a fight and you turn into crocodiles because you both are a threat to each other, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, I think like I'm going to share my vulnerability. Well, you want to be careful sharing your vulnerability if your partner's still a crocodile, right? Because yeah. you know what happens if you walked up to a crocodile, and, oh, you sweet crocodile, I'm not scared of you. Like, hello, <laughs> that may be all right. They bite your hand off. It's not going to work out very well. So that's why the thing we have to do before we start diving deeply into sharing our vulnerability is get the, the is see like, hey, this is both of us. Mm-hmm. It's I always say like, it's like a three-legged race, right? You can you can you actually have to do this in lockstep with each other. Like you can't like, let's say you're doing a three-legged race and you cross the finish line. You're like, yay, we won while your partner is still halfway down the course, mm-hmm. right? No, you didn't win. You were disqualified, right? Mm-hmm. This, so the first thing we have to do is both of us see this is a system where we're both, we both were hurting and we both were reactive over Coffee Gate this morning. Yeah. Right? Getting on the same like, page. So Getting on the same page with the same story of what happened where we both make sense. No one, no one person was the bad guy or bad gal. Mm-hmm. I don't even use that word gal, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we got to do that first. And then if we do that, now we could deepen down into, um, hey, look, this is the way I was hurting and I can see that you were hurting. 
Right. Um, but we even then we still wouldn't go. I don't get like too complicated on this right now. Like, but we couldn't even go that deep yet on that. Um, because we want to make sure we get to this place where you literally have a state change from being threatened by each other, right? Feeling like you're on opposite sides of an issue to feeling you're on the same team and on the same team as two vulnerable people that it hurt. It, you both got hurt during the difficult moment. Mm-hmm. And then you both see, like, I actually, it actually makes sense the way in which I reacted when my feelings were hurt, that it, I probably did hurt your feelings that both people can see that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now I'm breaking these things out into separate things because it's easy to understand it. But really, in a living, breathing moment of time, this is kind of a, all of this. Oh, like eventually when people learn how to do this, this is something that literally is a shift from being a moment of time where I'm threatened by you to going, oh, damn, we're in a system. It's, it's like... I always like look at it like you remember the Sixth Sense. You remember the movie The Sixth Sense. Um, you remember that movie The Sixth Sense, the little kid that saw ghosts all the time. Um, those are the movies I try to um, block out of my head yeah. there. But go ahead. <laughs> well, like anytime there was a ghost present, you knew before you saw the ghost because you all of a sudden you could see the kid's breath. The entire atmosphere, the environment changed instantly. You didn't have to see the ghost. You didn't have to hear them first. So like. So, look, I'm breaking it out into all these separate steps and stages, but really it's this this state change we're looking for where you go from just like threatened to, oh, no, we're stuck and we're both hurting and we both are doing things. And so it's not at first when you're learning it, just like if you're learning to dance, you might be like it might be a bit clunky and it's like, oh, step one, oh, step two. But really, eventually, this is something that you just get. You just shift from a moment of threatened by each other because we're disconnected to actually, oh, we're really, really sad and hurting together being disconnected. The first place we need to reconnect with each other um, is in an actual sad place. Most people want to reconnect with each other in a happy place. But the first place that we have to get good at reconnecting with each other is... Uh, like in a place that's actually kind of sad and it sucks like again that made up couple over coffee right in the morning i know that they both would like to reconnect like while going on their like you know their walk along the shore later that day but before they're going to be able to enjoy that walk along the shore um now that they both have a coffee in their hand, right? They're actually going to have to connect in the place where that was so hard this morning. I thought you were really upset with me. Oh, I know that was hard for you. And I really thought you weren't thinking about me. Oh, sweetie, of course I was thinking about you. And of course you're not for me. And I'm like, oh, it was so painful. We got to connect there. No, you don't have to talk in that way. Sorry. Mm-hmm. If I made some of your listeners like want to puke. But but there is a place where we got to talk in that place and connect where we're empathic and we don't just move on with our day. And then we can have the most amazing walk along the shore together. So this is bringing up a question that 
people are going to say, this is all fantastic to have empathy, but just like dancing, a relationship requires both people. So how do you get, I have a question from listeners, you know, and this is really, I feel like the chorus saying this, how do you get your partner to take this seriously? If you feel like you're the only one that is taking it seriously, how do you know that your partner, I mean, how do you get your partner to take a, a quiz to get started on this journey? If you don't even know if they're emotionally in tune with themselves. Um, what about that right. piece? Yeah, well, that's a great question, right? And so I've got like, um, I don't know whether the answer is a particularly, it's going to, it's good news, but I'll be totally honest, right? People either change out of inspiration or desperation. Mm. And you can count on one hand the number of people in human history that have changed out of inspiration. Mm. The rest of us, unfortunately, are going to wait till things are desperate to change. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are two things that I, well, the main thing I need in order to help people that come into my office is I need suffering. Mm-hmm. I need the two people to be suffering. I need their struggles with each other to be causing them distress. Mm-hmm. So look, it is a totally normal story right where one person is i'm the one that's trying and that person is shut down and of course there's a gender um generalization right and the heterosexual couple more you know seven out of ten times you're going to have the woman as the person that why am i the one that's trying and i'm doing everything and they're there watching their super bowl sunday right oh like you know like uh, so but not always but that's that would be the the rule of thumb right mm-hmm. and and look, the way in which to get that person to engage, the best way to make get him to engage and be curious about himself is it's got to get pretty uncomfortable. They got to see that, look, I'm really, really hurting and this isn't going to work because you're actually much more important to them than you may believe. And you hurting and them seeing the depth to which this is distressing you that we're disconnected is the best chance you have of them actually getting off their backside and off the couch and let me try and do something to actually get you back to a place that I'm I'm not a disappointment to you. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, yeah, like think people don't reach out to me and like for actual couples counseling until things are bad enough. Now, one couple's bad enough could be I can't believe I can't believe I saw caught you looking at Jennifer Lopez on the MTV Music Awards, right? Mm-hmm. And whereas someone else's bad enough might be, wow, you just had your fifth affair, right? Like people's capacity to withstand disconnection varies. And like, you know, so so distress is your friend because it motivates people to change. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, it would be great if people would do it before then. Absolutely. Right. And the, the other thing I always say is don't ask people to engage in a whole process. Like, it, let's say, you know, the quiz and stuff I brought, I created is, is great, but it's just a tool to get people into the framework. But in order to really do the work, you're probably going to have to do more than just a quiz. Right. And, and to be honest, even the course, the course is helpful. But these are all like baby steps. Uh-huh. Really, you probably need to actually see someone, whether it's in person and or like in person or online live, right? Um, so, so the other thing is you only ask someone to do one session. 
Don't ever ask someone like, hey, will you do couples counseling with me or, you know, relationship coaching? Um, it'll only be like in the next six months of our lives, <sighs> right? You're, you're, do you're, do that fella or that woman's not getting off that couch for right. like, but if you tell them, look, we just, all I want is like one session. You do 60 minutes. And here's what that Irish, weird, accented, balding, middle-aged therapist said, right? He said that no one has ever died during a session. <laughs> so you will survive. Even if you hate it, you will survive. Because here's the other thing, right? Here is the other. And this is a me. I, I was blown away by this doing this work the person that seems the least engaged emotionally in relationship often takes to this work better than the person who i'm like feels i'm the one that's really trying and the other person's all disconnected often the person who is seems most disengaged emotionally and most not in touch with their feelings gets this stuff quicker hmm. So do you, will I explain why that is? Yeah, please. Yeah. So look, here's this, like a little story I created, right? Let's say um, two people in a relationship, right? And there's the person who believes I'm the one who tries and I'm in touch with my feelings and I'm the one who always wants us to do things together and look at them, right? They live in the penthouse of this apartment building, right, that represents their relationship. They're the one, they're the good one. They're up on the top floor. They have this great view, but they're all alone up there. And they call their girlfriends every now and again or their boyfriends. And they tell them, are you alone in your pen? And they're like, yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> right now, their partner or their spouse is down in the basement. They're in the janitor's quarters. It, like, it's not even supposed to be an apartment. It's like a little like hovel, right? That was made like it was just there for the brooms. Because they're such a crap partner and spouse. They do nothing. They are so bad. Right. So we have one partner that's up in the penthouse, the, mo the most beautiful like apartment in the apartment building. But they're all alone in it. And they're like pissed off being alone there. And then we have the other partners down in the basement that I'm not coming out because all that happens when I come out is I'm going to be told I'm useless and I'm in a disappointment. And that's the predominant narrative in our culture or society. So why would I come out? And then I come along, right, and people come to see me, and then I show them, look, come here, look at this apartment that I have created for both of you in the middle of the building. It's a beautiful, well-appointed apartment. There's still nice views, right? And you both could fit in here together. You could, it makes sense, right? The person that's in the penthouse, they're like, I ain't going down there. I've got my friggin' nice apartment up here. You get that crap spouse to get up here right whereas the person down in the basement right the partner that's supposedly the crap spouse they're like i'm in are you kidding me you're telling me that we could live here together and we could be equals and i'm not just the bad one okay sign me up mm -hmm. right so often it's easier to make that move from the basement to the middle of the building than it is from the penthouse to the middle of the building so i mean we could go on and on about this because this is the hard piece, right? And so it's almost sure. like you need a whole another 60 minutes or a personalized session. It's the hard piece. And that's the whole intention. Yeah, because yeah. as you said, you know, it's the, it's the hard part. It's the desperate part, right? We don't, we don't just do something because we're, we're like, oh, I'm not in pain. 
So I'm, I'll, exactly. I'll just wait for that. So, um, so the first step, I mean, not that this is the first step, but you do have some great tools for us, um, at the end yes. of the day and it's empathy with an I because we couldn't afford empathy with a Y. I love that. It's a good way exactly. to remember it. love it. So we've got mm. empathy.com and there's some, there's an awesome quiz there that I loved because I felt like when I was reading about it, uh, you were reading my mind. I loved your little balding picture underneath and you're like, I'm a reluctant lover too. It's okay. And right. you were just like cheering me on throughout the quiz. It was very nicely done. So tell us where to find you. Tell us what you have. Yeah. So, so empathy.com is the best way to start. And then there's a, on the main menu, there's a quiz link and you can take the quiz there. Um, and then the, the other thing, if you really wanted to take a deeper dive, um, I don't want to give people too many options, but you can definitely like schedule a free consultation with me or someone on our team, right? Because I have a team of therapists and like relationship coaches and there's a big like book a consult button on the page or you could try our online course and we um like we were talking about beforehand i'm happy to give a a, a coupon code to give 50 percent off our flagship course to any one of your listeners and so if you take the um learning to love better conflict solution course and there's a courses link on the empathy page and you put in the coupon code less stressed you'll get 50 percent off um any of those courses and um yeah so they would be the the options if you're curious to learn more about what we're talking about and definitely start with that quiz but um the courses look fabulous yeah. too and that was very generous so uh there's a few courses sure. learning to love better um anyway the the quiz will introduce you but it's such a f i i know i've already said this and i'm starting to sound like a broken record i just love the quiz um oh, some good. of us are I'm some of us so are just bad. quiz junk like we just love their mind reading yeah. that personality quizzes give us and this is like a relationship personality quiz so it was very very fun so yeah. empathy well, i'm glad you liked it Thank yeah you. Very good. Well, I mean, I hope we can come back and chat about um, some topics another time because Lord knows there's no shortage of um, of topics related to relationships that we really could probably get into. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on today. And if people have questions, if you want to go to the website, lessstresslife.com, there's a little widget on the side, speak pipe. If you click on it, you can send in a voice message or you can open the voice memo on your phone and send it over. If we get enough, we'll ask Figs to come back and answer the questions. All right. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock.